Uh, well, firstly, Kevin, thank you very much for coming on because I know uh, I was searching for someone for ages and I had to go to Facebook of all things to find <laughs> to find someone. And it's it, the subject we're going to go on today is not really something that was obvious to, sorry, easy to grab someone to come on and speak about. Um, right. So so without further ado, I'll, I'll just explain to everyone listening because I'm terrible like that. Today we've got Kevin Feeney, who is who has a book on Amazon. It is Flyer Garrick, a Compendium of History, Pharmacology, Mythology and Exploration. But I have been told that you can just type in Flyer Garrick, a Compendium, and you'll get it up. So there you go. That's all, that's all you need to do for that. And, you know, not just to broadly explain, Kevin, what is the book about? Okay, so the well, the book is broadly about the fly Garrick, um, but the idea for the book really was, uh, you know, this is a mushroom that I've had a long-standing interest in. Um, it's you know widely known and and recognized. It's the you know red-capped, white-spotted mushroom, and in uh, fairy tales and and video games like Super Mario Brothers. Uh, so it's it's a widely known and and recognized mushroom, but the information uh, about it has been very kind of vague and, and underdeveloped uh, for a long time. Um, and it's been a mushroom that's kind of passed over um, for, for those interested in, in altered states and things like that, passed over in favor of uh, the, the psilocybe mushrooms. Um, and as, as my interest grew in this over the years, I, I would occasionally come across some articles written on it that were very good, but it was really difficult to find, find good information on it. And, and so my goal with the book was really to, to assemble the book that I had always wanted, you know, that I'd wanted as a, as a, a teenager or a young adult trying to figure out, you know, what, what's this mushroom all about? Um, and so that was really the goal of it. And so I, I uh, invited a number of different people to help contribute to the book. So there's a couple dozen people that have contributed chapters and photos and, and other things, uh, because I felt that by myself, I, I didn't personally have, have the scope to, to do the whole thing on my own. I, I've contributed a lot. Um, but I really wanted a wide variety of perspectives from people with different backgrounds, uh, you know, from not only mycology, but also pharmacology and mythology and, and history and food. So I really wanted to bring in a, a wide variety of perspectives. And I felt like the best way to do that uh, was to get a big group of people involved in, in putting this together. Um, so we got a, a great kind of diversity of, of perspectives and, and people who read the book will notice that not everybody in the book agrees on, on all the same points. Um, but I think that's okay. And that's important because it, it puts out there that there are different ideas and, and perspectives and, um, there's still quite a bit left to investigate. Um, but the goal is really to, to try to create something that would give people a, a broad, a broad introduction into this mushroom awesome yeah because i mean it's like this this podcast started uh, last year i would say yeah it was last year last february and me and my co-host at the time we were just looking for things to talk about um we kind of run out of the 
organic kind of conversation. So we was having a look online on what we could find to speak about. And uh, I think he or myself found um, oh, the honey mushroom. The, you know, the, the well, obviously, you know, the, the honey mushroom of wherever it is in America, the big, the big one. And right. um, and I was like, what the fuck is that? Is that real? And then it, we was looking at it. And then we obviously this was turned into a massive the science lesson for me because it was like what what is it what is mycelium what is this what is that and I, it blew my mind and i know he's a controversial figure to a lot of people but i listened to a lot of joe rogan so then i listened in turn to people like paul stamets as he was on there and it was nice and condensed for an hour and a half for me to listen to and i was and i learned about you know t- uh, turkey tails uh, oyster mushrooms uh, ch- you know things like chicken in the woods so i started to do research on because in england over here we get them frequently and obviously uh, death caps and things like that so i started doing some research and i was like okay cool and then for some reason for months it didn't actually come into my uh, kind of research and then i saw uh, f- the fly garrett come up and i was like holy shit do we actually have them in this country and uh, <laughs> you know and we, and we do and i was like whoa and obviously <laughs> everyone knows what it is everyone knows the, the, the red cap and uh, the, the white spots on it and I, I was like well that's obviously the that's the poisonous one that's the one you're going to eat and you're going to die and then upon a little bit of research i was like oh okay oh oh okay this is there's quite a lot into this and it depends which leg you want to go down there's you know some people will say you know it's highly toxic poisonous don't touch it don't look at it don't even be near it and then others are like yeah it's fine you know off you go make tinctures out of it and off you go and be happy and that's really just just for everyone uh, listening as well that's why i wanted to speak to someone who knew a little bit about it because i don't like just making my mind up from you know seeing it online one polarizing view from the other and right. so obviously that this you know you've got the book so you're the man to speak to. So how did you get into studying mushrooms or, partic- or particularly the fly Garrick? Is, is it like a job? Is it something, you know? <laughs> right. No, that's a great question. No, um, you know, I became interested uh, probably similar to a lot of people uh, as a teenager um, after my first experience with um, psilocybes and, and other similar things. Um and I, my parents had a few, you know, mushroom field guides, and I would kind of flip through them, and and I I found the picture of this mushroom, and of course I, you know, recognized it from, you know, fairy tales and kids books and, and yeah. Super Mario and all these things, and I I became really kind of interested in this, and um, you know, at the time I also felt that. Uh, you know, if I were to go out and, and look for something, I, I would probably have a much better time identifying um, the fly agaric than I would uh, identifying any sort of little brown mushroom. <laughs> um, which is not to say that there aren't, you know, lookalikes and, and things like that, that one needs to be careful of. Uh, but that was kind of my, my thinking at the time. Um, and I didn't have a whole lot of luck finding them uh, at the time, but that's kind of where where my interest kind of started. Um, and there was also uh, a guy who I actually interview in the book, uh, Mark Niemoller, who's who lives in the U.S. and he's 
had started uh, sometime in 1980s, uh, one of the early ethnobotanical uh, companies that specialized in the fly agaric or the Ammonitum scaria. Um, so you could order them through the mail. You know, this is pre pre internet. You've got to you know write letters and, and send uh, money in the mail, what and whatnot. Um, so I had sort of discovered this and, and tried to kind of experiment a little bit, uh, but not very successfully. And, um, and so that became one of, one of the questions is looking for information on how do these things work? Because there is a lot of information out there saying, you know, they're poisonous, they're, they're deadly. And, and of course, um, you know, I didn't have any interest in, in killing myself, doing something stupid. Um, but it was really difficult to find any decent information about it. And uh, I think at, at, at that time, a lot of people used um, the, you know, the thing that people were familiar with was the psilocybes, in particular cubensis. So I think a lot of people went off the idea that, oh, well, you know, two, three, four, grams is going to be, you know, where you're going to go. Um, but of course, the, the chemistry of, of the fly garrick is, is quite different uh, from the psilocybes and, and the potency is quite different. And the, that, uh, that typical range that people would use for psilocybes is, tends to be low um, for the fly agaric and some of the related mushrooms. Okay. So that was kind of one of the things that there just wasn't a lot of information about you know, there's a lot of kind of guesswork um, involved. And, and I think a lot of that guesswork <laughs> uh, led people to have either kind of uninteresting uh, experiences or uh, experiences that were just too, too much, um, you know? So I think people had a hard time finding that, that sweet spot. Um, We've got a lot more information about it now. A, a lot of people have been working with this over the last few years and uh, interest in the mushroom has really spiked over the last five years. It's really been uh, somewhat surprising um, because it's been kind of a, considered a, a sort of second tier um, to, you know, the psilocybes and, and other things. Uh, so there's been a, stigma around it or are people kind of looking down on it but but now there's kind of really interest in and in kind of understanding it uh in its own right and and accepting that it is something that's quite different it's it's not a psilocybe it's not uh like the other kind of classic psychedelics that people are familiar with yeah no it, it's, it's it's crazy it's, it's really is so broad when you when you start looking uh and like information it started it started to blow my mind man um about all, all types of mushrooms as well you know like uh, just uh, just doing a little bit of research into some stuff and it's like wow there's so many uses for you know uh, i know turkey tails was brought up and oyster mushrooms are brought up in uh, with paul stamets and I, I it blows my mind even if i haven't had any weed it blows my mind that all of this is just out there in you know in, right. in nature in the real world and you know, like now i like taking my dog out for a walk with my wife and i'll walk around and I'll just, tr I'll try and identify as many things as I can. Um, I mean, at this time of year and the weather's not great really uh, for us, but I, I find it fascinating. And I end up becoming like this advocate 
like you got to do this you got to go out guys you got to go and look at this and now people i work with said to me like i think um we went outside to do a bit of gardening outside our work and the guy at work said oh there's um i think there's a mushroom growing on the side of the tree and i was like all right he said, oh, yeah, I think it's a, a turkey tail. It's quite big. It looks really big and heavy. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound very like, like any turkey tail I've seen. And I went out there. And I was like, oh, no, that's more like, um, uh, got me, you know, got me book out, got me information. I was like, oh, it's more like a polypore, uh, to my knowledge. I mean, I mean, I could be completely fucking wrong. But then I cut it off the tree and I started having a look at it. And then I took pictures of it. And it's like, what is it? What am I turning into? It's like, it's like, you know, completely taken over my life. Uh, for over the last few years which is which is awesome and, and i'm I, i'm not even into it just for uh the psychedelic experience i say that i'm not into it at all for the psychedelic experience it's i love the benefits that like that lots of mushrooms can have you know for right. different people and uh, i think it's crazy there's one question i was going to ask you obviously about the fly the fly agaric is it related to the death cat mushroom or the or or was it destroying angel or something like i saw somewhere that he was like in the same family and i thought right. you're the guy to ask <laughs> yeah so uh the the death cap and and the fly agaric are both in the genus ammonita uh so they are related um in that sense uh and and that's one of the things where where i think the you get more stigma around the fly agaric is that it is sort of related to uh, the death cap and destroying angel, um, which are both uh, some of the most deadly uh, mushrooms known. And, and uh, the most deadly mushrooms are, are tend to come from the Ammonita uh, genus. Uh, so that's where a little bit of, of this kind of stigma comes from. And, and it does get grouped uh, along with those mushrooms, uh, even though it's it's quite distinct uh, from those, uh, but there is that kind of remaining kind of stigma and association uh, that's carried forward uh, with the fly agaric. Um, so it is that is something to you know to be aware of that it is it does come from a broad family of of mushrooms that includes. Uh, deadly mushrooms that includes uh, some very good edibles, uh, and it also includes uh, a number of psychoactive mushrooms that are related to the fly agaric as well. Some some really some some crazy family gene pool that is, isn't it? It's a, it's a crazy family to be part of. You know, exactly. Is is it is it grouped with am ammoniters because of the way it grows? Is, is that is that part of it or is it a, co a compound of the mushroom itself because I, I can't get mad around that so are you talking about the compounds in the fly agaric are you talking about the relationship of the different ammonite mushrooms why is um the fly agaric uh, i know it's because its real name or latin name is amanita muscaria is that right that's right and then obviously the death cap or whatever the destroying angel one is is ammonite what whatever that is is it because they are they grow the same because do they not grow as like a little egg or and then they spout from an egg shape beginning or am i talking absolute bollock i mean given to please tell me <laughs> tell me if you're like no Adam, you're absolutely completely wrong there because i i just look at stuff on the internet and i go oh i wonder if that's right so you know this is more of a lesson for me than everyone else right right so uh, the ammonite is typically 
you know, start as kind of an egg uh, and they can, you know, so to speak, hatch from that egg. And, um, and so for the Ammonite muscaria, the, the warts on the cap are kind of the, the remnants of that egg structure. Um, and so a lot of the ammonites have these warts. Some of them have patches, uh, but some of them come out and are, are basically have bald caps and don't have any uh, remnants of this egg on it. So they're all, you know, genetically uh, similar, right? They're placed in the same genus and then they're separated by, um, uh, you know, further from that by subgenus and then species. So the Amnita muscaria, uh, for example, and the death cap are, they're both in the genus Ammonida, but they're in different uh, subgenuses. Uh, so there are, you know, genetic separations and divisions within the genus Ammonida. Um, and the, the psychoactive ones tend to be, uh, you know, grouped together in, in one, one subgenus, which is subgenus Ammonida. And then the, the deadly poisonous ones tend to be grouped in a different subgenus, which is Lepidella. Uh, so there are some clear, clean genetic distinctions. Um, and then of course you get into the species and subspecies. Right. So, so they're broadly related, but there are also very clear, uh, you know, genetic and, and other visible differences between them. Yeah, sure. I mean, the only reason I ask is, like, like I say, because I I want to make sure that anyone who's listening, who this might be the first time they ever heard of any of these mushrooms, I don't, you know, that I want them to go out and 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 research them for themselves as well, and uh, you know, right. and read about it. But I don't want them to see like, um, for, you know, if they come across a death cap or a fucking destroying angel, go, oh, that's just a that's just a fly Garrick without without any color, and they eat it and die. You know, I could really do with not having that on my conscience, dude. So that's why I want to just make sure, like, you know, it is different completely and don't go picking or doing anything stupid without, you know, speaking to someone who knows what they're doing, I suppose. Right, right. And the book does, it does have a field guide in it. Unfortunately, it's the field guide is focused on on North America, but there are, um, you know, there are kind of parallel species uh, between Europe and, and North America. Um so you can get a little kind of guidance from that. Um, but I always recommend that, you know, people that haven't gone out before, um, you know, find find a local uh, mushroom or, or mycology club, uh, go out with people who, who know what they're doing, um, you know, kind of figure out some of the basics. And, and uh, I, I think it's a good way to uh, really to kind of kind of open the door for people and, and I think for myself and many other people uh, a lot of people get interested in mushrooms first through maybe the psilocybes or things like that but once you're involved you discover that there's all these um, amazing species and uh, you know things that you can be you know adding into your meals or or things that you can you know make tinctures from for for medicinal uses and and it's really kind of opens up this kind of uh, 
Pandora's box is, is not the right <laughs> metaphor because that kind of has a negative connotation, but it really opens up a lot of things for people. And so I think um, getting involved with a, a mycology group of going on uh, some mushroom hunts with, with people that know what they're doing is a great way uh, to be introduced um, to the world of mushrooms and to pick up some, some skills and, and insight that way. Yeah, sure. No, that, that's that's right. That's what I kind of uh, would encourage people to do as well, rather than just going out and you know trying trying things randomly. Because I've spoke to people who have listened to the podcast before, uh, when me and Aaron were literally just two stoners talking about mushrooms and how cool they are, and right. then people people would come to me and go, "Oh yeah, I saw I had one growing in my garden. I was going to put it in my and I was going to put it in my stew or something." I'm like, "What? What the fuck is it?" Oh, I don't know, but it's growing in my garden, so it can't be that bad, can it? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> uh, okay. And then that kind of made me have a bit like a sense of responsibility of like, yeah, it's okay us talking about this, but when it goes into the world and it goes into the, you know the real world, it's like, oh okay. shit, I need I need to be a bit more sensible about this. So I, I, I'll start running through some of my questions, dude, because I can talk forever, and time's going to get up away, and I'm not going to ask anything I need to. So, uh, <laughs> I, 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 so where are they found, Fly Garrick? Nor like, are they around the whole world, or is it just in certain places? Is it t uh, certain requirements to the you know where they can grow? Or right, so. Um... Uh, so historically, biologically, they're, they're considered a, a northern hemisphere mushroom, and they're pretty cosmopolitan, right? You can find them in Asia and Europe and, and North America, um, so they're all over. And um, But they've also been introduced uh, to other parts of the world. Um, so the, the fly agaric and other ammonitis species uh, are what's known as mycorrhizal species, which means that they grow in association or in tandem with a tree host. Um, so what's happened is, uh, say, places like Australia, uh, people have imported trees from Europe for landscaping. Uh, and those trees come with the mycelium from the Ammonita muscaria in it. Oh, shit. And so even though it's not from Australia, it's now grows in, in a lot of different parts of Australia because it's been introduced. Uh, and that's the same in, in South America as well, uh, that it's been introduced down there. So it's, um, in a sense, it, it's invasive uh, because it doesn't really belong um, in the southern hemisphere, um, but as as a result, it does grow um, really throughout the world. Right, that's that's cool. So, so anywhere because is it uh, is it silver birch or just bir birch trees? I know that's that's a big one over here. I think where where a lot of people are finding them. Right. Well, they grow in association with a lot of of different trees, uh, birch and oak and pine. Um, and they're really, they really don't seem to be quite, uh, quite as, as conservative as, as once thought uh, in a lot of the older uh, field guides, they list maybe three or four trees, uh, but they really seem to be quite open 
<laughs> to forming relationships with a lot of different uh, tree species. Um, so in my area, we find them in association with, with cottonwood um, frequently. Um, but the typical ones that people talk about are, you know, birch and, and oak and pine and other common species uh, like that. Yeah, no, I always like to find out about, because I didn't realize how important the, like, when you're trying to find a specific type of mushroom, it's important to know what tree it's growing near. Now, I only knew that, like, I feel like I've started my journey into mushroom hunting, and now all of a sudden I've got to fucking have a tree book with me as well to figure out what type of tree it is. So I can, exactly. you know, and, and it, this is coming from someone who can't really read incredibly well. So I go out and I'm just getting my head around, you know, the, these fancy names of mushrooms and, you know, characteristics and uh, gills and patterns and all sorts. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm all clever and I put on a post on Facebook to a couple of mushroom groups. And I'm like, oh, look what I found. I found this. And then all of a sudden people go, ah, depends on what tree that was. It might actually be this type. And I'm like, huh? And someone's like, oh, so what tree is it by? Is it by oak trees? Is it by this tree? I'm like, I don't fucking know. I thought it was just a mushroom. And they're like, no, 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 no. you got to see. Ah, oh. so all of a sudden me and the, you know, me, me taking the dog for a walk with the wife and just having a look at some pretty mushrooms. I'm now having to study what fucking tree it is. What to, yeah, so it's, it's, it's all good fun. Right, right. And, and it gets, yeah, I mean, you go down the proverbial rabbit hole and there's lots of things to, to consider. And um one of the things that's nice or, or interesting about the fly agaric is that uh, it often grows uh, in association with the porcini mushroom. Oh. And uh, um, the porcini is also mycorrhizal, so they, they like the same trees. And so you can often find them together, um, you know, which is kind of nice because then you can have the porcini, which of course is a, is a very good edible. And then, um, you know, the fly agaric, um it can be made edible uh if you you know cook it in the right way uh it can actually be um cooked in in meals uh without producing a you know inebriating effect um so it's kind of fun to be able to find them together yeah i i i've, I've only recently heard of them with the cooking methods are you you know do you know how to prepare them for you know, um, safe safely because someone told me you have to you, you can boil them or if you dry them out and then I'm like what, what the fuck and like I said the, the reason I found you was on Facebook on one of these pages and even on that page there was people with massively conflicting ideas and I'm thinking are any of you experts you know or are you just go or are you just going for going nuts on this one and just going you know giving it a, a you know wild thought so you know do, what would you say if you, I'm not saying you're advocating to say to go and do it, but what is the correct preparation method to not have the uh, psychoactive effects? Right. So um, it seems, you know, the, the best the best method uh, is to boil it um, for about 10 to 15 minutes, uh, strain it rinse it and then boil it again for another 10 to 15 minutes and then uh, strain and, and rinse it again. And after that, uh, you know, people would think that uh, it would be all mushy and, and gross at that time, but it still uh, remains very tender. Uh, so you can, uh, you know, you can bread it and fry it. You can cook it up in stir fry. You can cook it with eggs. You can, 
uh, you know, put it in a white sauce and on pasta. And it's, it's quite good. It's has a very kind of mild uh, flavor. Um, and, and it is, it's very good. Uh, some people don't think it's, you know, worth the time. I've, I've seen the argument that, gosh, you've got to boil it for 20 minutes. And, you know, why would you even do that? And I'm thinking, what, do you guys know anything about cooking? Uh, have you ever cooked a, a potato or, <laughs> or some chicken or, you know, cooking it takes time, right? I mean, unless you're just all into, you know, fast food and putting things in the microwave, then, then you got to understand that when you cook something, it's, it's a process, right? Um, but I've seen that argument that says, oh, if you got to go through all these steps, then, you know, what's, what's the point? And, you know, and it's a poisonous mushroom anyway. And it's like, well, you know, uh, you know, potatoes and cassava and, and raw chicken are, you know, all, they're all poisonous until you cook it. Um, so I, I'm not sure what the big deal is, but, you know, that's, you know, that carryover of that, that stigma um, against the mushroom. Do you know that's a really, really fucking good point, man? Because even when you first started that uh, that that sentence, going, you know, if to boil it twice, drain it, and boil it again, I, the my first instinct was, why the fuck would you do that? That's that's ridiculous. You know, it's a long way to go just to prepare a mushroom. That is, you know, is what it is anyway. And then when you said about like, you know, cooking a potato, it's like, well, yeah, it's exactly the same. Of course, you're going to cook a potato. No one's going to have potato and chicken and just go, yeah slab it out of the packet and go, no, I ain't going to cook it. It takes too long. I was going to cut me, cut me raw chicken up and just eat it. And it's, it's, it's a good point, man. So it would, would you say, I mean, obviously you're going to be biased towards it, but is it worth the preparation for the flavor profile that you get with the food? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I think, you know, if you're going to go out into the woods and, and pick mushrooms, um, you know, it's, you know, sometimes it can be, sort of a, a crapshoot, you know, particularly while you're, while you're learning. Uh, so I've certainly gone out a number of times and, you know, come home empty handed and that can be kind of disappointing. Um, so it's nice that you go out you can uh, frequently with the uh, uh, fly agaric, the ammonite muscaria, you can find uh, quite a bit when you find it. Um, so you can prepare, you know, quite a bit. And if you've got extra, you can, you can freeze it and you can cook it later. Um, so it, it is a good, uh, it is a good edible, you know, hmm. when, when prepared correctly, um, you know, and for some people, they just want to have the experience of trying it once, right. Say I, you know, I tried it. Um, and, and maybe that's all they want to do, you know, just, you know, have tasted and, and see what it's about. Um, and that's fine too. I, you know, I've met other people who, um, grew up, you know, eating it. And, you know, their family had been eating it for, you know, for generations and they, you know, they just knew how to prepare it and, um, you know, would go in, go in, uh, maybe they just eat it by itself or put it on a, a pasta or something like that. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, up to people how much effort they, they want to put into it. Um, and, uh, you know, there are some things that are, you know, there are a lot of very good mushrooms uh to eat so I, there are people that that like the flag garrick but you know they prefer the porcini or or the chanterelle or something and you know so everybody kind of has to figure out what it is that they like and, and what they want to put time into yes yeah, sure so well, how 
how has the fly garrick become the poster child for all mushrooms and i know you've answered this before because it's everywhere because i see it all the fucking time but it just blows my mind that this red and white mushroom is literally on if i type it on my android phone it'll come up with a little picture of a red and white mushroom mario's got it um everywhere you look has got it and i'm just like what how how has how has society adapted adopted that sorry as the poster child right i mean it's it's kind of interesting because it's not you know it's not something uh that's widely consumed as a food or or even widely consumed for its psychoactive properties it's most people have never even seen it you know in the real world um so it's a little strange that it's become just kind of this ubiquitous image uh and uh i had somebody a friend recently sent me a a photo from their their local uh food co-op and uh at the mushroom section they had a you know a sign that said mushrooms and they had drawn a little picture of the the ammonite and muscaria the fly garrick which is really kind of puzzling right because you're selling these edible mushrooms and you've got this picture of of something that's generally considered to be poisonous and and can certainly uh produce undesirable effects if if one doesn't know what they're doing so it's a little strange that you know it it's so ubiquitous that it's used as as this advertisement for store mushrooms um i i think one of the things is that it it's a lot of it i think just has to do with its appearance and that it, it's just a striking mushroom um you know when you encounter it um and and for that reason it, it has uh garnered this sort of association with part of it through through just its appearance uh, with kind of fantasy and, and fantastic landscapes. And, you know, so whenever you see, uh, you know, these paintings of, you know, for, for you know, fairy tales or, or things depicting fairies and elves and things, there's almost always, you know, a, a fly agaric mushroom featured. And so over time, this kind of, it's just become this kind of standard uh, mushroom that's depicted in in illustrations and paintings, and you know has become popular in in video games and other places. Uh, so I I just think it's even though you know most people never seen it, it's just become so widespread uh, that it's it's basically become synonymous with mushrooms themselves. Uh, so much so that the emoji for mushrooms is a fly agaric. Yeah. Uh, and it gets a little confusing because you get into these, you know, discussion boards on online and people use this emoji and one presumes that they're typically talking about psilocybes if they're using this, uh, um, you know, in these contexts of um, psychedelics and, and whatnot. But it but it adds a little bit of a layer of confusion because it's it's not anything like a psilocybe mushroom, so you you kind of got to clarify with okay you're using this emoji but what what are you talking about really? 
you know that's what i find really bizarre man when i when i see people put it up and they even if you just say like um if you you know can you get some mushrooms like as a just a conversation like can you pick up mushrooms it will come up as soon as you type in the word mushrooms on my phone it comes up with a little picture of of a red and white mushroom and right. it's like what a weird thing to have as like you know but I, I guess like you say it's so striking and everyone knows it you can show that mushroom to anyone like the picture and they'll know that it's a mushroom that right. whether they know what it is or whatever they will know that that is the universal kind of sign for mushrooms i just find it i just find it fascinating that, that it's kind of gained that popularity right i mean it's quite bizarre because you think you know culturally it's not you know you know you'd think maybe the cremini or or the you know the button mushroom would be uh what they would use because that's so kind of prolific uh you know it's not even that great of a mushroom but that's the mushroom that you know you find in in the grocery stores and and things like that um so it, it's kind of odd it's a little odd i know for sure as hell if a flyer garrick was in my grocery store in a little punnet for someone to pick up they would people would be shitting themselves and go don't touch it don't touch it they wouldn't they wouldn't go it wouldn't move anywhere because people were so scared of it and and that's what i want to get into but I, i'm you know trying to keep an eye on time it do because i was going to go and ask about history and myths because there's loads of things about um i heard mushroom santa coca-cola berserker stories but for everyone listening just do a bit you know just type in flyer garrick myths and stuff and you can find that out there because we you know we, we, we got time restraints for that one but so as i said about uh with with like mushrooms and this is it mike is it called mycophobia when people right. are scared yeah i just find it like when i when i was brought up um if, if there was a mushroom on the ground even a small it could just be a filled mushroom it could be anything it was don't touch it don't touch it with your bare hands don't do anything we'll get that outside and he'll just cut it up or he'll uh, go over it with the mower and this was every single person i know knew that you do not touch look at or go near mushrooms and it's kind of like when I speak to people with the podcast and I start speaking to people, it's, I don't know what it's like everywhere in the world, but certainly in England, that was like a general consensus that you do right. not touch anything. And if I fucking picked up a flyer Garrick now and walked into my mum and dad's house with it, my mum would actually shit herself. I think she would be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? No, 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 you can't have that in here. Get it away. Don't touch it. Don't put it down. Don't, don't do anything with it. And I mean, where does it come from? Is it because, because, I mean, I'm not being funny, dude. You just said about chicken. Fuck me. If you sat, sat there and got people to eat chicken, you know, some people are going to die of it when they get salmonella or E. coli. They're going to die of food poisoning. Right. But like I read somewhere, this you could answer this, that there's not actually been a fatality with Fly Garrick over the last hundred years is what I read. I don't know if that's true or not. Right. So, so, you got to dig into that a little bit. Uh, I believe there are some associated cases. So there haven't any been any deaths from from poisoning. Um, but what happens is if somebody takes a, a high dose, a large amount of the mushrooms, uh, people can experience really kind of a, a disconnect uh, from reality, uh, one that's even you know, different from, from psilocybes where, 
where people can be pretty, pretty deep into the experience, but still be aware of what's going on around them. Uh, and with the fly agaric on, on a high dose, uh, people can really lose that awareness. Um, and it also has a, a pain killing properties to it. Um, so people may not be aware of say temperature changes or, or things like that. Um, so I believe there have been a case or two where people, you know, just walking out in the snow or, or camping or something and they don't get in their sleeping bag or, and, and maybe they, they freeze. Um, so it's, so it's a, it's a fatality, you know, associated with, with the use of the mushroom. Um, but it's not caused by the poisoning. It's caused by the, the people didn't take any precautions, right? Um, and that could just be just a lack of familiarity with the mushroom. Um, so this is one of those things where, where people really need to think about uh, if, if they're going to ingest it, they've got to think about what they're doing and they've got to think about, uh, you know, it might be a good idea to have <laughs> somebody around, you know, somebody at, at your house or your flat who who just got an eye on you to make sure you're not going to, you know, walk out in the rain and, and not come back sort of thing. Um, so with, with the exception of that, right, there really aren't any instances where we can say that somebody has, um, you know, quote unquote, overdosed or, or died from poisoning uh, from this mushroom. Um, but it can lead to circumstances where people could be at, at risk um, for being out in the cold or, or walking into traffic or, or something like that, just due to lack of awareness of, of what's going on around them. So where do you think the whole mycophobia type thing comes from then? Is it, is it these very rare incidences where, you know, mushrooms are poison or people, I know, in, for instance, uh, just, just to fill you in, you know, in our country, I think there's only been two or three ever poisonings. Um, or, well, I don't know, it might be, well, I can't, I can't think of the exact numbers. I don't want to botch it too much, but basically it was only, no, it was years ago. That's what it was. I think it was about seven years ago someone pulled some mushrooms out from their garden and put it into like a, a stew or a casserole type right. thing. And all of a sudden the woman felt really ill and the, the bloke felt really ill. And the long and short of it was they had death caps in their back garden that they misidentified and cut them up and put them in a stew. Right. Um, the, I think the man didn't eat them, but the, the stew or the broth that it was boiled in was enough so he literally shout his kidneys and liver and all sorts but the woman unfortunately died of the poisoning now right. i don't know if that is a kind of story that people get so scared about or, or it might be the fact that the death cap doesn't actually look scary like i would you know like the fly garrick is very striking isn't it you know if someone said to you that's fucking poisonous if you eat that you will die but every white or cream mushroom is fine to eat I would understand, right. you know, I, I guess because it's a white or beige colored type mushroom and it fucking kills people the same as if you, you know, if you misidentify one, you could die. I wonder right. if that's where it come from. And I, I would love to, you know, what, what you think? Well, I, I don't think that's it because these are quite long standing uh, prejudices, really. Um, and, and the term mycophobia, I believe, comes from... Uh, Gordon and Valentina Wasson. Um, 
and so some some of your listeners might be familiar with Gordon Wasson. He's the the guy that went down to Mexico and and was kind of the the first white guy or first Westerner uh, to be involved in one of the mushroom ceremonies down there, and wrote a big story about it for Time Magazine in the fifties. Um, but he he married a, a Russian woman, and you know he has this story of being out a walk, you know, on their honeymoon, they're walking in the mountains, uh, and she finds these mushrooms, and she's just, you know, kind of goes nuts, because she recognizes all these edibles, and she's super excited, and this just freaks him out, you know, the same thing as, you know, the your mom would do, right, he's just, he tells her to put him down, don't touch him, you know, we need to wash your hands, we need to, you know, and and so there was this conflict, but you know, between them, where this was, you know, she grew up in Russia, going out picking mushrooms, cooking them with her parents, eating them, enjoying them. So this was, you know, for her, you know, this nostalgia for, you know, kind of her childhood. And for him, it was just this deathly frightening experience to see his new bride. Uh, doing something that he thought was surely going to lead to her death. Um, so these are these are long-standing sort of cultural biases. Um, so so they kind of took this experience and and ran with it and did kind of a study of this, looking at these differences between cultures that they would identify as as mycophilic, uh, meaning mushroom-loving cultures like. Russia, and then mycophobic cultures, um, such as, you know, in, in England, or, um, you know, even in, in North America, where these things are viewed with, with skepticism, um, you know, at best. Um, and so he, he had some theories about where this came from, and, and this goes into some of his ideas about, you know, the, the foundations of, of, religion and um, he wrote a book on uh, Soma, which is this uh, ancient sacrament um, in India that was written about in the in the Vedas several thousand years ago. So he had some ideas about you know the role that mushrooms played in, in culture and, and religion. Um, and so he kind of traces it back to that. Uh, but there I, I think there are still kind of outstanding questions about why why do some cultures love mushrooms and some cultures fear them? Mm. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of, you know, you can just look at the plant kingdom and there's lots of edible plants, there's lots of poisonous plants, but most cultures aren't, you know, afraid of plants. <laughs> You know, so it's a, you know, there's something going on here that, that's really quite interesting um, that must go back to some historical period in time. Um, and it's not quite clear what, what that is, uh, but it is certainly possible to identify cultures that have this proclivity towards mushrooms and those that have more of an antagonistic uh, relationship or, or view. Um, that we see in in uh, some places. Hmm. It, 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 it's baffling because 
like my fear of my, my previous when I was scared to not go near mushrooms and all of that was purely because of my parents. It was nothing to do with anything to do with the news or there's no programs on English TV that I've ever seen in my life that was telling me to stay away from, uh, you know, these mushrooms as a kid or anything like that. It was purely just my parents. So I, I was wondering, you know, especially in my country, is it like a cultural thing that I need to, I don't know, I say I because I feel responsible for it now, hence why I speak to people who actually know what they're talking about, you know, and actually fill the facts in and say, yeah, there is things that are going to kill you out there. But, you know, there is there is a hell of a lot that isn't as well. And a bit more education for everyone on the subject. Yeah, I think so. Because I think, you know, if you'd gone back, um, you know, a few decades or a or hundred years or so, uh, you know, I think you would definitely include, you know, the United States as as a mycophobic culture, but I, I think that's changed a lot. And, and a lot of that may just be that, um, you know, there are so many different people here from so many different parts of the world that have different ideas about these things. Uh, but mycology has also grown and, and it's kind of a, a popular hobby uh, for lots of people to go to go pick mushrooms. Um, you know, which is not to say that the, the broad general public um, doesn't still have some anxiety uh, towards mushrooms. Uh, but I think there's, you know, an increased openness, uh, it, at least in North America, um, that's emerged over the, you know, the past 40 or 50 years. Um, and, and I think in, in part, uh, you know, the in part, I think the psilocybin mushrooms have really created a lot of interest in mushrooms in, in general. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are, are drawn in by that. Um, but I think a lot of people, a lot of people, not everybody, of course, but a lot of people kind of move on uh, from their interest in, in psilocybes, uh, but they maintain that interest in, in mushrooms as uh, as something they can cook with, something they can go out on a walk and they can find. Um, so I think that, you know, that kind of 1960s introduction uh, to those particular mushrooms is, has really broadly expanded interest in mushrooms as a whole. And people found out that, oh, well, these, you know, these are, were fun and I, I saw interesting colors, but, you know, I can I can put these in an omelet or I can, <laughs> you know, I can do these other things or I can go here and I can find pounds of these. And so I think it's really opened up uh, some doors in some very unexpected, uh, unexpected ways. Um, and perhaps that's true in, in England too. I'm not, I'm not sure. And yeah, it's like, we also like over here, it's absolutely not heard of of mushrooms as medicinal properties at all like that is a massively taboo thing over here um, I, i'm not sure what it's like over in the us but i mean like what, what's the view over there with using mushrooms for research because i'm sure is it is it psilocybin that they're using for ptsd or, or something right. like that and, and i find that oh, what was the one i saw um it, it was i think it might have been on um fantastic fungi or something like that i'm trying to think off the top of my head and it, it really got to me one of these things and i always use this point that they were using a, a small dose of psilocybin i believe and it was 
it, it got people who are terminally ill, like cancer patients and uh, things like that. It in some cases, not all, it removes their fear of death. And right. I, I mean, I'm not scared of death, but I know, for instance, like my mum, she will listen to this, love you, mum, but she is definitely scared, you know, of death and hates the idea of even talking about it at all. Now, right. in my eyes, I think. God forbid anything ever happened to my mum where she was still um, had her faculties and had like a terminal disease and she knew she was going to pass away. That would literally ruin every minute, waking minute of the rest of her life worrying about it. And when I saw that research and for some, it doesn't do anything for, but some, it changed their whole fucking mind and concept. I was like, why are we not funding this guys? Why are we not doing something with that? I just think it's incredible. I just wonder what it's like over in the in the US as a whole, uh, as a kind of idea. Like, how do they? How do you guys see it over there? There's been a lot of growing interest in um, you know potential uh, medical applications, uh, and so we've there's some kind of political movement here um, where you know our we have our, our different states uh, throughout the country that have some kind of independent control um, over over their own laws and policies. It's, you know, everybody's kind of uh, underneath or, or subordinate to the, the federal national uh, US government. But there's some wiggle room for, for some states to do some things differently. Uh, so there is a movement to get uh, some states to make the psilocybin mushrooms legal for for medical use. Um, and so they're coming up with, with different models for how this might work. Uh, it's a little fuzzy now um, as, as things are when people kind of roll these ideas out and are trying to figure out what, what's the best way to, to integrate this, you know, in into society in a way that's not gonna be, um, totally disruptive. So there's a, a lot of great interest and in, in energy behind it. Um, and it, it might be getting a little bit out in front of the research that, you know, the research is happening. Uh, the, the results are good and promising. And there are some of these real amazing stories that are coming out uh, of people that have a lot of help, you know, people that have terminal um, uh, diseases or, or conditions um, where this is something that relieves a lot of that, you know, end of life anxiety and fear and allows them, you know, to, to be comfortable, to, to enjoy uh, what time they have left with, with their families instead of just constantly thinking on their, you know, impending demise, I guess, <laughs> which is, which is not any way to spend, you know, any, no, that's right. Um, if, especially if it's a little, little amount of time you have left, that's the, I, that's, I can imagine that's the worst way to, you know, especially for all family members involved or relatives to see them just like so worried and scared. And that, that's what kind of brings it home with me a lot when I'm like, you know, wow, if, even if people don't want to get high off them or have the experience, then Jesus, we, we've got to be doing something with this at least because 
you know, ev ev everyone's going to croak it one day, you know, everyone's going to go. <laughs> and some people are definitely scared. You know, like if I got, if I got diagnosed with something and they said, you've got 10 years to live or five years to live, I might be like, yeah, well, I ride a motorbike. I might die tomorrow. I might crash my bike and die tomorrow, but really, I don't know. I might have a funny turn and need some help. So, but dude, right. before I've got one last question, this is from someone who sent it in. I don't know who sent it in because I didn't keep the fucking names because I'm terrible like that. But someone said, is it true? that you can put really put a piece of an actual deadly mushroom in your mouth and chew it and then spit it out and it won't affect you or have any uh, negative connotations to health. So, so typically, uh, typically it's considered fairly safe to be able to, uh, some will use that as a identification um, method. So, I, I don't want to go and say, you know, go ahead and do that with any mushroom. Uh, typically, what one is doing is they have an idea of what the mushroom might be, right? And then they know that it could be mushroom A or mushroom B. And one of the ways to make that distinction is mushroom A has a peppery flavor and mushroom B has a mild flavor. <laughs> so then, then you could take you know, that small, small bit, chew on it, spit it out. And, you know, if you get that peppery sensation, then you've got your identification. Uh, if you don't, then you can rule out that mushroom and, and maybe it's something else. Um, so it, it's typically, uh, it's typically safe, but it, it's usually used as one step of an identification process. So it's not really like you're just going out and nibbling on things to see what they taste like and spitting it out, um, which is something that I, I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> I, I think if, if one's gonna do that, um, they should have a, a specific purpose in mind uh, for what that information is, is going to tell them. Um, so it, it's, it's something that people do, um, but, uh, you know, certainly, again, I go back to my point earlier that if, if one's new to mushrooms, uh, they want to find out about it, that really the best place to start is, is to connect with people in your community um, that know more than, than you do. Uh, and they can help guide you along and, and, they, can, and they can show people when, when it's appropriate, um, you know, to do, to do something like that, where you'll actually gain information uh, from doing that. Yeah, sure. Uh, there's, um, I also read somewhere, I don't know how true this is, because I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it was it was the Death Cat or the Destroying Angel. I know it was one of the really bad, like the you know, bastard ones that are going to kill you. But I'm sure someone said that they didn't die from it. They had just um, a bad like reaction. I don't think they had a lot. But they said that it was the best tasting mushroom they ever had, ever. And I, was, I just laughed. And I thought, was that just like, you know, they just trying to make a joke of it? Or is it actually, does it actually taste nice? I wonder if you ever heard of anything like that with, with the, the, you know, the ones that are going to kill you. Not saying that people should go out and fucking eat them for Christ's sake, but, right, right. you know. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, I have heard that. And of course, if they didn't taste good, you know, people wouldn't die from eating a whole bunch of them, right? You'd take one bite and go, blah, I'm not going to eat that. Um, so, I, you know, I, I have heard that. Um, Hmm. Of course, 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a funny thing, but you know, I guess there are some things that we're not necessarily meant to experience, uh, no matter how uh, nice they, they might be in the moment. And that's where my morbid curiosity would come in, dude. You know, I'm thinking like, you know, no, I, I don't ever want to fucking taste it because I don't want to risk dying. But then on the other side, I'm like, but what does it taste like, though? I don't, not that I want to, but what does it taste like? So I, I just want, yeah, because I read so much stuff and I thought, I don't even know if after this is true. So that's why I thought I'd just run it by her. But look, I, I won't I won't go on any further because I could literally speak to you for fucking hours, man. And I really appreciate you coming on today and giving everyone who's going to listen, which is up to like 22,500 people now. Uh, so it's going to go out to loads of people. Uh, just an idea of what, of what, they can do and a little bit more so where is the best place for people to buy your book or, or find you i, I don't know because I, I couldn't find you on like um twitter as a, as a page I, I don't know if that's just me being shit at twitter and i can't find you. where can people find you are you online uh you know or right right I, yeah i don't have much of an online presence really um that's something i'm you know thinking about you know uh, you know, do I want to put a web page together or something like that? And uh, uh, so far, nothing has kind of come together for that. So I've, you know, I've got the book that's out there, and that's uh, and that's accessible. Um, there is a, a a website called uh, ResearchGate, and people can just kind of Google that. Uh, and it's a it's a kind of storing house for um, scholars and academics. And they can put up their, you know, articles, things they've written, and people can access uh, a lot of different things through there. I, I don't know if you need necessarily, uh, you know, to sign up for it or if you can just kind of scroll through it. But there's a lot of information uh, that's available there, and and I'm on there, and I've got you know different articles and things that I've written that people can can download, or or sometimes they, you've got to request them because. Um, for for academics and scholars you know we we write things and they get published in journals but then we don't necessarily <laughs> have have rights to those materials right the because uh, the journals want to sell those articles and things um but usually if, if people send us a note we can you know we can send people copies of things that that we've done privately uh, we just can't publish uh, a lot of stuff but I do have some things that are on there that that are that people can down, download. Um, so that would be one place to look for me. Um, and then the other place, you know, the book is is on Amazon. I think it's on some other, maybe some other smaller retailers in in England as well. Sweet. So you can just look at at. I know Amazon is not a a favorite for for everybody, uh, so you should be able to find it in alternate. Uh, booksellers online as well nice and yeah like we said at the beginning guys you can type it well i found i found the book by typing in kevin feeney fly a garrick but I'll, you know i'm sure if you type in any kind of uh, mix match of the words for the actual title just so far as well, we end it on it's fly a garrick a compendium of history pharmacology mythology and exploration and on and on that note kevin i'd like to thank you very much for coming on because like i I love speaking about mushrooms. I could talk about it forever. And the fact that this one particular mushroom has, you know, well, we've just given us an hour of conversation when we've never spoke before. It is, it's crazy, man. So I just so thank you so much. 
Well, thank you for having me. And uh, if you're ever interested in chatting again down the road, let me know. Awesome. Sounds good, man. Well, thank you very much, guys. Until next time, see you soon.